Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. One of the most fulfilling aspects of teaching is seeing a student begin to recognize their gift and begin to fulfill their purpose. From students that are historians through and through and want to pursue teaching to mechanically minded individuals that love working on cars and plan on being successful auto mechanics and technicians to art students that have their artwork being bought from outside sources. It's an honor to see and fulfilling as a teacher to watch their students gift take shape before our very eyes. For some people, it takes a lot of trial and error to tease out their gift, whereas for others, their purpose is recognized pretty early on. Well, an individual born in Ireland in the mid-18th century not only found his gift, but built upon it continually, and eventually utilized it so much that one of his creations is one of the most recognizable objects in the world, and I'm guessing no one even knows his name. His gift might be hiding in plain sight, but after today's episode, His name surely won't be hidden any longer. Welcome to the missing chapter, everyone. Let's get to it. In season two, episode 29, happy birthday to who? I told the story behind the iconic song that has become synonymous with birthday celebrations around the world. And you've heard Phil and I wish our loved ones happy birthday on past episodes of The Missing Chapter. Now, we want to extend that on-air shout-out opportunity to you, our loyal listeners. Email us at themissingchapterpodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram and let us do the rest. Birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, what better way to celebrate life's accomplishments than with a personalized message on one of Spotify's most popular podcasts. So email us today at themissingchapterpodcast at gmail.com or message us on social media and let's get started. I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horner, And we look forward to adding one of your celebrations to the History Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Missing Chapter Podcast. You're here with Phil Schaff and Phil Horner, summer edition as we wrap up July uh, of our season three. We're interested in, uh, Phil, where you listen to your summer podcasts. Mm-hmm. You know, are you are you in the car? You're going on a good vacation, a road trip, uh, maybe sitting next to the pool, sitting at the beach, or, or something as simple as mowing the lawn. Or walking the dog. Walking the dog. I, 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 shout out to my sister, Wendy. She sent me a, a text the other day and said, hey, really enjoying this episode. And I'm, I'm walking the dog, her dog, Ollie. Um, I think maybe as crazy as Ollie is, maybe Ollie was walking Wendy. Well, mm-hmm. That's another story. Um, we also want to mention, too, because we have um, in New York State, for those of our, our listeners that are outside New York, uh, we have a standardized test coming up um, in New York for high schoolers, uh, for sophomores specifically, the, the New York State Regents exam. And we've gotten some people to reach out and ask questions about the, the regions. We're even considering maybe doing a bonus episode to prepare our students and prepare, um, you know, parents for what they can expect for the regents exam in August. Uh, so, you know, stay tuned. We'll, yeah. we'll make some announcements as, as time gets closer. Um, but that might be a, a, something to consider if you know anyone who's taking the New York State Regents exam August, I believe it's 16th. Yeah, we've tossed around that idea for a while. Something different, which we, again... 
Variety is like, you know, what we like to bring to the show. Now, when it comes to coffee, though, or coffee drinkers, like, yeah. I don't know, yeah. maybe one of these days you'll find us drinking tea. You'll, you'll find it. I find it hard to believe, though, because today we're sitting down to Boston's Best Coffee Roasters, a medium roast from the coffee shop blend. I don't know. It's good. I mean, it's one of those. It's go to. Can you foresee us ever starting an episode with like, hey, we have this great cup of tea? I don't. Okay. I brought that yeah. up. And, and as soon as it, the words left my mouth, yeah, I thought like, to myself, that's crazy. That's nonsense. Yeah. This is a coffee drink drinker show. Yeah, for sure. So cheers, Phil. Hey, cheers. Cheers to summer. Cheers, cheers to, to summer. a podcast. Cheers to your episode today. I'm anxious to hear what you have for our listeners. So once again, in typical missing chapter fashion, um, it, it, a lot of our episodes start with a question. Our curiosity sometimes gets the best of us. And this is one of those things where as I'm having a conversation with somebody, um, you know, it, it sparked up a, a, a curiosity in me. So I, I did some research and it was one of those uh, stories in the docket that, um, you know, I plan on doing for a long time and I'm glad I have the opportunity to do this now. So I'm not going to mention this individual's name. We do know based on the title in the intro that he is Irish. And much of the information that I got uh, is from the Irish Emigration Museum, which is a fantastic resource. If anyone wants to check it out, if you have any sort of Irish descent. Um, this individual was born in 1760 in Ireland. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint a little picture here. I want you uh, listeners and I want you, Phil, because I have not told you a thing about this at all. No. Other than listening in on, on the intro. Um, try to figure out who this person is and what he designed. Okay. Okay. So he's Irish. <clears throat> yes. He's a designer. I'm yep. guessing inventor of some kind. Quite possibly. Um, other than that. I'm like you said, I'm going into this blind. So I'm interested to, to see if I'm able to put together the, the details as you give them to us. All right, let's, let's shed some light on who this guy is. So born into a pretty solid family, had at least three siblings, Joseph, Philip and Anne. Um, the family lived in a thatched cottage in a huge estate. His father was probably a tenant farmer or laborer on, uh, laborer on the estate. The connection, the precise connection really isn't known, but this man was educated. Uh, while living here and became a pretty skilled carpenter and wheel maker. Now, I want to point out, though, that the skilled carpenter is key. OK, so he must have had some sort of skill because despite his maybe modest upbringing, uh, he went on to study at the Dublin Society School of Architectural Drawing in 1780. OK, so okay. think time frame, okay. think architectural drawing. OK, because the society aimed to advance the arts in Ireland, a lot of the maybe not so well off students, some of the poorer students, who had a lot of talent, um, didn't have to pay fees to attend. So at the school, incredible designer. He won a medal for drawings of, of brackets and stairs and roofs. Uh, the school's principal, who's uh, a guy by the name of Thomas Ivory, uh, who was responsible for lots of Dublin's Georgian buildings, uh, employed him as an apprentice. And if anyone knows any sort of design, I had to look this up myself. Georgian buildings are, are essentially like a Romanesque almost style architecture, like a very Roman Greek variety. Um, so anyway, so this is where his gift becomes realized. Okay. So from a pretty young age, he's, he's tinkering, he's um, fabricating things, and he goes to this school. His principal, um, you know, takes, a, takes him under his wing a little bit, and he becomes an architect. All right. A very talented one at that. So by 1785, he emigrates to Philadelphia because it's the land of opportunity. All right. So he had a, he had a great upbringing um, as far as, you know, design and, and apprenticeship. 
in Ireland, but he really believes that if he gets to the United States, it could take him to new heights. Okay. I have to admit, I'm not any closer to knowing who you're talking <laughs> <Okay>. about. <laughs> I'm, I've been given a time frame. You're helping me along here, but I'm thinking to myself, I am really struggling. Hey, that's all right. I want to keep you in the dark a little bit. I don't know if I'm alone, listeners, or if you guys have a better idea, but time will tell. All right. So April 1787, he relocates to Charleston in South Carolina, where his, his Georgian style uh, begins to appear pretty uh, pretty rapidly. He begins to appear among the city's buildings, um, you know, and, and designing. So he partners with an Irish carpenter called Pierce Purcell, and he works on both public buildings and private houses, and they work pretty well together. Their work includes the thousand-seat Charleston Theater and the Charleston County Courthouse. Um, for use as his home and office, he also bought a plot of land and built a three-story structure on it. So he's really He's really expanding his horizons here. I mean, he's mm. he's he's private, he's um, public, he's doing personal projects. So he's all over the map here. In 1790, he actually opens up a drawing school, but by May 1791, a certain figure by the name of George Washington mm. visits Charleston as part of his southern tour, and this gentleman was a prominent figure in the community. Okay, so he was made known to the president when local leaders were guiding him through the city and pointed out his most prestigious buildings. Okay. You know, president Washington, check this out, check this out. This is the same guy that designed all these buildings, pretty prominent figure here. And I love the way he was introduced. Um, you know, according to this museum, he was introduced to George Washington as a man of merit and genius. Now this is where things get really interesting. Okay. Oh, I just see a light bulb. Yeah. Going with you. All right. Listen, <laughs> so I had the light bulb moment. I did, uh, I did a quick Google search. I think I have his name. Okay. But I'm not going to say anything. All right. All right. Let's see. So I love that moment. That was awesome. <laughs> it was at this moment that he began to earn George Washington's attention as well as a competitor's attention. Okay. So there was a French born architect by the name of Pierre Charles L'Enfant, who was originally chosen to be the architect of some very prominent buildings in our nation. Mm -hmm. 1791, he even chose the site and laid some of the building's foundations. However, he wanted the building uh, to be kind of like an extravagant palace, almost a little too European for George Washington standards and some other prolific figures. And he had plans to make it four times larger than the structure that was eventually built. Okay, so it's a little too elaborate. And this led to a disagreement. All right. Um, not only with George Washington, but some of his, his commissioners who wanted a little more conservative design, mm -hmm. um, distinct from, you know, <laughs> like royalty and, and right, that kind right. of architecture. And they, they wanted to... to make it more, um, without giving it away, homely, all right? They want to make more of a home rather than some palace where, you know, it's an unreachable uh, royal family. And I think I, I think that's just, that's right for the time and what we had just accomplished with the revolution and that you Correct. don't want some elaborate, lavish castle. You want something that, this is the home of someone important. It's the home maybe of our government. Mm, you're getting so somewhere. I'm yeah, I, I think I think the hound is picking it, up on the I, scent. I think so too. I'm pretty <laughs> proud of myself right now. <laughs> All right. So 1792, February 1792, this guy, this uh, French architect L'Enfant was dismissed. Commissioners decide to make something uh make this a little more interesting. And they launch a public competition Ooh. instead. All right, which we love our competition. I was going to say, that's very American. That's oh, totally. So yep. 
The competition was was announced by then Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson, and the prize for the winner, five hundred dollars or a medal of equal value. All right, now five hundred dollars in the eighteenth century, fantastic. But remembering this architect's engineering and design work in Charleston, George Washington says, "Hey, we got to invite this guy to submit drawings." Uh, he even traveled to the capital. Clue right there to discuss his designs with the president. This man's designs was were based on another iconic building, which he had admired and studied in Dublin and, you know, over a decade uh, earlier, the Leinster House, which was designed by Richard Castles back in 1745, provided inspiration for this proposed facade Mm -hmm. of this building. Okay. And the design, sure enough, was chosen by George Washington. So the question is, and I think we have an answer from our beloved co-host here, what's the man's name and what prominent building did he design? We'll get to it after the break. Okay, welcome back from the break, Missing Chapter fans. Um, first things first, Phil and I, we, we always you know get into various discussions during the break when we take a break. And, and like you said, Phil, I think you brought up a good point. Hey, send us those pictures of where you're listening to us yeah. you know, over summer. Um, either tag us on social media or you can email it to us at the missing chapter podcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to see where you're, where you're actually listening to our podcast. That would be fun. Yeah, that'd be great. Now, Phil, I, I took the clues. I did my diligent detective work. Sure. uh, Via (laughs) google.com. And I did come up with a name and I, I'm going to let you disclose uh, the topic, the person of, of your podcast, but I think there's something very fitting, something very poetic that, the work he did for our country and, and essentially what he designed has become a beacon of hope and, you know, a symbol of democracy. I like the fact that he's got humble background mm, yeah. and he comes from a very blue collar, you know, set of circumstances. Correct. I think that's only fitting. Well, uh, you're absolutely right. And I love that. That was very poetic. If I might add, thank you. Um, the man, is none other than a guy by the name of James Hoban. Is that the person you were? It is. It is. is. Perfect. So congratulations. You won. Um, And yes, he was the designer of, Phil, go ahead. The White House. The White House. Yeah. Yep. And I love the fact that it was through a competition too. Yeah. It's awesome. I love that. Um, So from the White House archives, over the next eight years, Hoban oversaw the construction of the White House. Um, Even though Washington would never live there, he was obviously an integral part of of getting Hoban there. Um, Washington's successor, John Adams, was the first to move in. And even then, the building was incomplete. Uh, Very cold, by the way. Uh, But every president since has made it their home. So Hoban was not just just oversaw this, but he really had no shortage of work to do in uh, the District of Columbia because as well as being in charge of the White House, he was also the superintendent of all the city's public works at the time. Mm. So they really they really saw his talent and his giftings. Um, he presided over the completion of the Treasury and War Department. And if you notice some similarities between the White House and the U.S. Capitol building, he was also the overseer of that. Um, but he also designed more than just you know government buildings, designed hotel, hotels, churches. Um, but a lot of those you don't really uh, aren't really able to go visit because they don't they're not standing today. Um, interesting fact, though, during the War of 1812, British soldiers marched on the Capitol. And if you remember correctly, uh, they burned everything in sight, including the president's home. But James Hoban was appointed to restore the building. Uh, this obviously took a little time. Um, it only took three years to complete. But 
there's a lot of things that uh, had to be, you know, completely redone. Right. Uh, but he was able to retain the exterior walls of the whitewashed sandstone, which withstood the flames. But since then, Hoban's original design has endured a lot of changes. The building has been extended several times. And in 1952, we know that President Harry Truman uh, renovated pretty much everything with the exception of the house's exterior. So Hoban's iconic north-facing facade, which is what we see on everything, has always remained the same. So even though it's gone through extensive renovations, it's been changed, it's been adapted, his original facade is still there. So pretty cool, pretty cool that you get to see history um, as it as it was panned out almost 300 years ago. Um, now, because it's been changed and, you know, because of the, of the times, it's more like a military fortress, obviously, than what uh, James Hogan had originally planned. And I, I want to end with this, too, because I thought this was a really cool um, factoid here that we can end with. He was a pretty devout Catholic um, and loved to donate some of his earnings. And I think it, I think you're right. I think it comes from his humble beginnings. He was actually one of the one of the donors to help build a very prestigious university, Georgetown. Nice. Yeah. You know, I also saw in here, too, I would have thought maybe upon his death, he would have gone back to Ireland. Ah, uh, but he's actually buried in D.C. He is. Yeah. Yep. yep. He's buried in D.C. And, and I think yep. that's fitting, too, because, yep. I mean, your work essentially created the capital that we all know and appreciate today. Yeah. So I think it's only it's it's fitting that he's laid to rest there as well. Does, does it say where he was buried? in D.C.? He's buried in a place called Holmead's Burying Ground, Okay. which also goes by Holmead's Cemetery. But it's a historic three acre cemetery located in the DuPont Circle neighborhood. Oh, OK. Yeah. And um it's got over 10,000 graves, and he's one of them. And he's one of them. Yeah. So pretty humble beginnings, but has a huge impact, not only on the nation, it's an iconic uh, building throughout the world. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Phil Horander. And I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.